Let's see, Tuesday. We're in December already. I can't believe it. Um, and yeah, December in Ohio, gray, cold, a little bit of snow, not enough to make it worth our while, a little bit of rain, not to make it worth our while, just kind of, ugh. Salt water everywhere. Yeah. So, but to maybe lighten our spirits, we have Dora, right? Dora and the City of Gold. And I think all of us may have gone into that movie thinking, oh my God, this is going to be the worst because Dora the Explorer doesn't have like the best street cred, right? Um, but at least I know I was really surprised. But um, what I'd like to do is just like throw it out there, see what you guys. I know um, I've got Christina, Nicole, and Caitlin in the studio today, um, hey. and and Christina's Hello. actually done a bunch of work on um, on uh, on on Dora the Explorer, um, the animated TV show Nickelodeon that was there when my kid was a kid, little kid, and. Um, I was excited then because there was something that had some, at least a little bit of Spanish and a kid that looked a little bit like my kid. But, all right, welcome, you guys. Welcome. Thank you. Christina, you've, like, launched us because you've done, (laughs) like, you've published on Dora the Explorer. And then I want us to, like, jump in and talk about the movie version by uh, James Bobbin, a white guy, but... um, with all Latinxes in front of the camera and uh, a lot of really interesting kind of twists and turns um, that we can get into. So, Christina, let's launch with you. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you. That was a great introduction. I don't even know where to start because I feel like there's so much and I don't know, like, what part of the movie, like, would be the best to start with. But um, so Dora the Explorer has been around for a really long time, starting in uh, 2000. Um, you know, first, like, main character that was uh, a brown person of color. Um, things that the show don't really talk about are uh, her um, ambiguity in terms of culture. Like, we don't know where she comes from. She doesn't really come from a real place. Um, the show uh, relaunched or uh, did a reboot um, a few years later uh, with a like preteen version of Dora. Um, and she was living in a city called uh, Playa Verde. And uh, that also, when I was doing research on that uh, city, it didn't really exist the, in the way that the show was representing it. Um, so still ambiguous in terms of where she comes from. Um, if you watch the show, there's bits and pieces of different various like Latino cultures. Um, so kind of a, like an amalgamation of what it means to be brown. Um, but I mean, can you really fault it? It was like the, you know, so it made milestones, right? So we have um, a character who is loved by so many children from so many different backgrounds, um, you know, children and families and parents and nannies. I started watching it as a nanny myself. Um, and, you know, we're learning Spanish words and it was great. And, um, you know, I used to nanny for, uh, you know, white family, three girls, and they were just so cute and loved Dora. And it was just great to see, like, this mixture of um, being able to, like, talk to them about, like, my own culture um, and and things that they would not experience, um, which was cool that it was on, you know, such, like, mainstream television. Um, so I was very skeptical about the movie. And um, and I was afraid of how they were going to navigate um, 16-year-old Dora um, and I think they did a great job with it. So, yeah, let's hear some more from 
Yeah, Nicole, do you want to jump in here? Man, no, I feel bad because I I just watched Dora for fun because like whenever <laughs> I was in my teens, but I didn't mind. I didn't mind. It was cute. Like it was adorable. It was fine. Um, so in terms of the movie itself, uh, I approached it with healthy skepticism <laughs> because you know adaptations my like my wheelhouse, and I was like, this is gonna be terrible. But you know what? let's let's watch it because it has good reviews um <laughs> and we're obviously gonna can get more into it a little bit later but i was surprised it was good but dora's great so there's that yeah i feel like so when i watched it this weekend it was interesting because initially since we start out with um you know child dora and then transition into teenager dora i have to admit that i was a little hesitant at first because i oh, really yeah. liked the kid actors a lot and so at first I was sort of thinking, mm, I don't know if I'm excited for a teenage Dora because I feel like these kids are doing such an excellent job that I almost don't want to see what they're going to do next. And I also was selfishly kind of just thinking that I wanted to see the parents and I was worried like, oh, we're not going to see them because teen Dora, some sort of change is going to happen. Um but I felt like they did a good job navigating both versions of Dora that we get. I feel like once I sort of gave the the teen Dora a chance and kind of let go of my pipe dream of like, but what about child Dora? I thought that it was a really excellent, um, a really, really excellent movie that kind of allowed us to like for once have like, I don't know. I didn't feel like the film was like doom and gloom the entire time, but it was like a really nice way of celebrating joyfulness, but also healthy curiosity, but also adventure while simultaneously still having those kind of suspenseful moments that allowed me to feel like I was going to the movies in the ways that I remember as a child, where I would look forward to that kind of adventure. That's so cool. So yeah, like a movie that succeeds at kind of hitting both audiences, us or yeah. you guys, and then me as older, <laughs> and then our and then our um, our like younger folks, right? Yeah. Um, Nicole, um, given that adaptation is something you work on so much, uh, maybe just what are some what are ways that we this movie succeeds um as an adaptation okay so i think um very briefly the main thing that i thought was going to be the main concern or biggest obstacle was figuring out what to do with like the main characters like the map the backpack boots uh <laughs> and then swiper of course um and you know the movie's doing their own weird takes on them right like they give us the disclaimer of swipers the of of uh, foxes and they not really swiping in real life mm-hmm. which was really funny um they completely get rid of map and backpack to a certain extent there is a backpack that holds a lot of weird items inside like kind of like hermione's bag in harry mm-hmm. potter um and boots it's an interesting CGI situation. It's not <laughs> great, but um, I like that they kept they kept the playfulness. Um, the silences when Doris like looking into the camera is like <laughs> such a big thing of the show that I like that they made fun of it and they like mm-hmm. leaned into it hard, even with teenage Dora doing it the same way. Um, but then, like, even if you sit down and think about it, yeah, she's basically alone in the jungle by herself mm-hmm. and maybe a monkey. Of course you would talk to yourself, and of course you would have an imaginary friend. Like, that makes perfect sense. Yes, she's kind of weird, but it's okay. Like, it makes sense for her particular context. Mm -hmm. I also think um, the biggest success that the movie itself had was uh, it's the fact that it's very self-aware. 
-hmm. like it's self-awareness, it surprised me because, yes, it's still staying uh, within the realms of innocence and how innocent Dora is and how she approaches the world, but also it has adventure. It has more adult themes, but it kind of keeps this innocence and she herself keeps her innocence throughout the movie, regardless of everything that happens. And I think that is so unique Mm -hmm. um, because you expect for her to get super depressed or like go through this very horrible change when she gets to high school because high school's like supposed to destroy you right emotionally or at least that's how we see it in movies um that i like that she just stayed through her to her to herself and that was like the main point of the movie um so I think that was the major success there for sure. Yeah, I love it. There's so much joy in this yes. movie. I love it. It was like, you know, um, I've been binging on Netflix shows lately because I, I want to f- think more formally about it and that space for mm-hmm. Mexican movies, especially okay. in shows. And, you know, what is it? Tacos and na- narcos, right? Narcos, yeah. And uh, God, Dora's like, just pure joy and adventure. But yeah, I want to hear like, what else does this like as a Latinx uh, feature film that has this really cool ties to our pop cultural sort of imaginary, what else does it do so right that makes us feel so good? Um, Caitlin? I feel like we have a cast of characters that are well-rounded. I mean, you and and Carlos Kelly obviously write extensively about Michael Pena, but I feel like it's an example of just his ability to make every scene kind of focus on him. Like the scene where he sort of describes what Dora's um, adversaries in high school are going to consist of being like ravers and a (laughs) rave and then kind of like takes that moment to riff off of the script I would have liked to have seen um, Eva Longoria do that a little bit more I felt like she was a little bit more restricted but I think that's kind of just a technique that we see in her acting generally anyways but I thought that um, it was just a really nice celebration of like at first I was like okay she's going to go to high school high school is going to be in the US we're going to have this weird kind of like conflict between cultures and I thought it was a really excellent approach of thinking about what does it mean when you have cousins who are across the border and you're having these completely different upbringings but then simultaneously how are you sort of returning to each other in ways that don't necessarily have to suspend us in like horrific pain and suffering Mm -hmm. Um, because I feel like one of the techniques we often see for sort of thinking about coming-of-age narratives for Latinxes or brown and black folks in general is there always have to be really aggressive hazing scenes there have to be really violent interactions between like a school bully and like the protagonist in this case we do have Dora kind of facing those same kinds of obstacles but what's really beautiful is that she retains her sense of joyfulness she stays true to herself but it doesn't come off as preachy like it doesn't come off as like a prescriptive model but instead it's sort of her ignoring those forces and in the same tone her cousin then also kind of realizes like oh I should actually embrace my culture and not push it away and I Mm -hmm. think that that was something that was really excellent to watch is how this in some ways is also Dora encouraging her cousin to be who he is instead of trying to decide between like U.S. or Latinx instead of just embracing all of his identity. Totally. Yeah. And going off of that, um, I really see her as this like superhero figure, right? So she's able to cross these borders. Um, Her, the way that she represents the character as like 16 year old Dora is like silly and energetic, right? And so that's like almost her superpower is like continuously being happy. And that is so great to see 
like in popular culture is like this very vibrant, positive representation of somebody who's like hyper intelligent, right? She knows like exactly what Moby Dick is. She knows exactly what Moby Dick is supposed to represent, right? Um, And she like just excels in everything that she does around every like around her situations um, and environment and the people around her. Um, I really liked that they sort of, you know, and this is sort of a more popular trope in, in like children's and YA literature now, um, but they really enhanced like the children figures, um, subverting the adults, right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. allowing her to really shine in what she like does best, right? And so, um, so it's interesting that all the other characters around her grow and she, like her main, um, like characterization is just staying true to herself, right? And like yeah. that is just like golden and wonderful. And her costuming is realistic, yeah. which I really like. That's how I dressed as like 15, 16 <laughs> year old Katie, um, which matters because a lot of times we see, especially like if we think about the Disney Channel formula, we're often seeing them in like wedges or skinny jeans or bl- like flowery yeah. blouses. So the fact that we get a Dora who's not interested in it at all, like these kinds of like, articles that are enforced to give her a silhouette that in a lot of ways wouldn't be realistic. It was nice to sort of have a normal girl who's wearing outfits that allow her to adventure in them because she's comfortable and she's able to move around freely as opposed to like, I don't know, I love Kim Possible, but I just think about like, does Kim Possible have to have her midriff out? So I think that it's kind of a nice push back against those things that Dora can just like wear the clothes that she feels comfortable in. I think the main thing that I, just going off of what you both said, um, there are a couple of things. In terms of the midriff, just because that was the thing that I just thought about, (laughs) in the final dance number, she's wearing like a little crop top with a sweater, Mm -hmm. but she's not showing a midriff. Like she has like a shirt underneath. And I thought that was so fascinating just to watch. (laughs) Um, I think that the movie does an amazing, like breathtaking job at um, breaking with every single Latinx stereotype Mm -hmm. ever that we see on the screen um like in terms of the family nucleus we don't get any sense of religion which was weird and i was very surprised by not at all like nothing other than the quechua people and like their own beliefs um and the incas um so we get that but we don't get anything the the father's there the mother's there they support the kids and whatever they want to do they allow her to explore mm-hmm. which in the next families like the girl has to stay in the house and she doesn't get to mm-hmm. explore and that's like the main thing about dora right that's like the main stereotype that she breaks with um but i was kind of not concerned uh not necessarily thinking about but in uh, latinx women representations you often get that woman the one who breaks the mold as masculine mm-hmm. um so i'm thinking about letty and fast and the furious and like that yeah. particular character is very masculine um and so i really like that dora kept her softness mm-hmm. um she is not sexually overt in any way shape or form she knows what sex is she understands it yeah. she doesn't like it's not an interest <laughs> at all there's the one boy that's definitely crushing on her but she doesn't have that final kiss yeah. um or anything like that um the family across the border like reta- they retain their 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 culture they speak spanish constantly mm-hmm. they're not afraid of speaking spanish like all of these things that it was just so Oh, I just felt like a breath of fresh air yeah. in a very weird way. And I really appreciate it. Um, I liked 
just the softness in and of itself. She, like, there is no point in the movie that I'm afraid for her safety. Mm -hmm. I'm afraid for her white friend's safety. I'm afraid (laughs) for her her cousin's safety. I'm not afraid for the adults, but I'm never afraid of Dora because she is so capable and she has that awesome background. And would you have ever guessed that she would have just like bust out in Quechua? Like mid-movie? Right, but the (laughs) the knife? Can we just talk about the knife and getting Mm -hmm. out of the box? Oh my gosh, she was amazing. And we have a narrative where we have three smart brown kids who realize they don't have to compete with each other. they're oh, actually yeah. like bettered by each other and i thought that that for me like was a wow moment of i really wish i had seen this when i was younger yeah. instead yes. of these like girl versus girl movies that like diego suddenly is like i am smart i'm gonna use all of this like knowledge that i got from school and apply it to a real setting and like plays off of that joke of like when am i ever gonna use this in the real world right. um maybe when you accidentally like find yourself in a situation where you've been kidnapped <laughs> but i thought it was a really cool extension of like Showing kids that it's actually cool to be smart. And when we have this potential rivalry rivalry between, I think it's Sammy and Dora, that all of a sudden it's like we actually start to see a softening of yeah. of Sammy by proxy of her realizing like, oh, this guard that I've had to hold up in part because Diego says like everyone hates her. And it's, you know, presumably because she's the smartest and she's defensive and she knows like she knows what she's doing and what she wants. All of a sudden she realizes like, oh, I can actually form like alliances and real friendships with Mm -hmm. people who don't ask me to dumb myself down, but embrace me as an intelligent brown woman. And I thought that was a really, really important situation that we get to see. Yeah, that's a great moment when, um, you know, at first Maddie, um, you know, says, you know, hey, step away. Like, I'm the smart kid on the block. (laughs) And then, like you guys were saying, the journey becomes a collective journey, right, where they all kind of throw down. I did love, too, that, um, you know, there's book knowledge and then there's testing out right in the world knowledge right yeah. testing your, yeah. and and seeing how it works or doesn't work and how cool right um so yeah taking that phrase in class when the teacher says you know what is moby dick about and you yeah. know she goes you know basically how it exemplifies you know western writers nostalgic appropriation of indigeneity colonized uh, yeah <laughs> colonized yeah. yeah and you're like what and but it works right and it's just part of it's part of the script um but in that let's think about this as a kind of a bigger kind of meta moment and reflect on the adventure stories we're used to um indiana jones or like jumanji um and especially Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a moment when Nick, kind of the token white kid, you know, <laughs> yeah. screws it up um, by kind of, you know, I know how to solve this puzzle because I've seen those movies like Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. Um, the white but, film, bro. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, um, okay. yeah, let's, let's, I'd love to reflect a little bit on, you know, it's, it's, it's really clever way of, pushing it back against a, a, a long history of misrepresentation and the adventure story as kind of us as only being seen as kind of landscape or something to be overcome or the, you know, the exotic, you know, um, and what this movie's really doing. There's some really cool, sophisticated kind of moves going on. Yeah, Nicole, do you or anybody, any of um, you? Yeah. So as you were talking, I was thinking of two main things, and of course, I'll wait for the other girls to talk. Um, I was thinking about the fact that the token white kid, 
you is used as like the comic relief mm-hmm. of course there's some oh god why am i forgetting his name the other adult alejandro alejandro yes oh. um so he's definitely comic relief because that is the kind of work that he does mm-hmm. but whereas you were expecting michael peña to be that relief because that's how you usually see him in the movies it kind of reverts to this white kid and it is so fascinating to see the white kid being it instead of the brown characters instead of you know anyone else in that sense that was awesome um but he's still useful which is great um uh the main thing that it was kind of breaking with that i really appreciated was this whole the natives uh have the gold and the thing and Mm. there are all these booby traps and all of these things and i'm like I mean, they were definitely um, playing off of that because, of course, there were kind of puzzly situations uh, that they had to uh, get through. But knowing that there's not a big price, maybe there's like a gold statue. It's not like hordes and hordes of gold for the taking. Um, And also having the city that was virtually untouched by white hands mm-hmm. is so beautiful like yeah. in its own way i don't know that's what i was thinking about yeah i i think it was really great that he was so excited about the jungle puzzles right and so i felt like he was a way for like white audiences um to enter into the story right like oh, yeah. there is a point that they can like maybe identify because they are familiar with indiana jones and these other adventure movies um and uh, it, it does f- flip everything over, which is really great. Um, and he is able to help, which is even better, right? So um, him joining those who, you know, might have appeared differently 10 years ago in cinema just, I think, are going to be the benefit of the children who are going to watch this film now, you know, like, we are not different. And he, there's a part in the movie where he says, like, why did, you know, I, I took Mandarin. Like, why did <laughs> yeah. I take Mandarin? I don't understand <laughs> yeah, what anyone's good. saying, yeah. right? Um, but I think it goes to show that, like, our culture here, especially in the United States, is just, is really changing and is, re- or not changing because it's always been here. But in the way that the media is representing it, it's, like, allowed to exist in this space where we are allowed to come to get together. And it's okay for brown people to do these amazing things and sort of take charge and um, and own it and be smart and, you know, and just keep going with it, right? And I think that um, it was great that they used him as comic relief, right? But, like, also as part of the group and right. not separating him. Um, and I kept wondering if he was going to die because he was the token white kid. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was thinking, too, this movie, when they go to the museum, reminds me so much of the Book of Life, where you oh, have yeah. the kids also going to the museum and kind of seeing the exhibit and then, like, quote-unquote, like, history comes to life. And I thought that that was a really cool – it felt almost like a riff to me in some ways. But I also was really fascinated by how the white friend in a lot of ways kind of models performative smartness because he's got that T-shirt where he doesn't really think about the fact that, like, it says, like, you are here or whatever, and then Dora walks up and is like, your shirt is wrong, and then she fixes it (laughs) for him. Or, like, the Mandarin. Um, Or just these different instances, like the white film bro kind of trope of just like, well, I know how all these things are going to work out because I am aware of all of these things, and therefore I'm guaranteed this answer. So I thought that he was interesting for kind of calling out the ways in which folks who've maybe perhaps felt entitled to particular outcomes, in fact, are realizing that maybe they're not the most equipped to solve yeah. all of the world's problems. Yeah, that's so me, us. Like, you know, yeah. yeah. Like, and also, I just want to say too that I thought it was very 
interesting and subtle that both of Dora's parents are professors and they're archaeologists and they're kind of rationalizing their interest in finding kind of the city of gold in ways that are not totally different from sort of the quote-unquote bad guys in the movie. I feel like even though they kind of distinguish themselves from from them by saying like we're doing it for archaeological purposes instead of like wanting to actually extract these kind of resources from the land, I still thought it was a very important kind of subtle calling out in part because we do have that joke at one point um, where one of the characters says sort of like when they're kind of all guessing like who could be responsible for kind of changing some of this area and they say like the Europeans or it could be I think they say the Spaniards and then one of the one of the kids says like the U.S. and like United Fruit Company so I feel like a film (laughs) that puts that kind of joke in there can't be accidentally making Dora's parents professors I think it's also a subtle way of asking us to really think about okay then what's their perhaps entitlement or their relationship to this space and maybe kind of reframing that kind of discourse as well, which I think was really cool. Yeah. Mm. Like there are smart people all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So let's th- talk about a l- that moment um, in the kind of the puzzle solving moment in the aqueduct. Um, right. So Indiana Jones Right, the kind of Mesoamerican architecture and temples, first of all, like a kind of Mel Gibson apocalypto, mm-hmm. don't have anything to do with anything, right? They're there, they're there for uh, kind of the thrill and the exoticness, right? And here, um, what are we being shown? We're being shown like really sophisticated pre Columbian mm-hmm. uh, technology, yeah. right? And technology that. Um, allowed for the growth of um, agriculture, that is, um, for us to be able to control how we self-sustain and rely less on kind of hunter-gatherer and therefore allow for the sort of creating of the arts, right, Um, more science, like really sophisticated Mm -hmm. stuff. And uh, from what I read, they actually brought in a Quechua... Uh, Incan professor from UPenn as a consultant to make sure to get it right and including the accent the Quechua that was um, that um, Isabella Moner learned right Mm -hmm. Um, and and then of course the Incan princess um, Kualika and um, you know the the Quechua and but casting there Mm -hmm. an actual Peruvian indigenous actor right um, all these little things that, you know, something like Coco is applauded for. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're seeing it here. And yet it seems like it's not as acknowledged. It seems mm-hmm. to kind of gone under the radar. But I think you, uh, the four of us are picking up on how important it is to get it right. You know, getting it right. I don't know, Christina. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah well, so I think um, because the name Machu Picchu wasn't used, right, there is this unfamiliar, like, it's a made-up city, right? So even though the culture is being represented, like the fictional place that they're after perhaps is like misguiding audiences. And if they're, you know, if we were to use like Machu Picchu, everyone knows where Machu Picchu is now, right? Um, and so even, and, and I felt like this city, this lost city was representing that, the right? The Parapata, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And so, um, and then you see, like, so the opera house gets built, like, before mm-hmm. the city, right? Mm-hmm. So you see the actual, like, Incan history where the Spaniards came um, and, like, you know, the Incan construction, the way that they built their walls 
um, without mortar and just like the way that the rocks aligned and were so perfect and like waterproof, right? Um, and then they built Machu Picchu, which was a, a city hidden away. And um, as the Spaniards were taking over, you know, the last few remaining um, citizens like fled and hid the city. And that's why it was hidden for so long. And, um, and, and you see like all of this like represented in the film, right? Even though the names are changed, mm. the the history is there in the story. Um, and and I don't know what the purpose what I mean, I guess I do know the purpose of changing the names. Um, but I, I did I liked that they represented sort of like the Peruvian history and the Incan culture. Um, I liked that the queen was an old woman at the beginning because you don't want um, like the her like beauty to mm. kind of deter the main purpose, which is protecting the history and the culture and the people. I mean, they had a language that was never written down, right? They used a knot system where they would knot on uh, make knots on strings, and that's how they um, captured information. And the Spaniards came and um, in, in the main parts of the cities, you know, destroyed everything and then built on top of that. So um, a lot of these um, historical markers are represented in the film. But like you're saying, they are overlooked, right? We're not we're not looking at the film as a way that is great to teach mm-hmm. um, audiences all over about you know Incan culture or what life in Peru was like, um, and you know what people endured and and how it needs to be protected and um, and how difficult and challenging it is to preserve these histories because of the way that the language was mm-hmm. um, and how delicate you know, um, the topic of colonialism is. So Mm -hmm. I think, I think they did a good job with that at least. Um, in terms of the water and going back to water briefly, um, so if you think about Indiana Jones and all of these puzzle piece movies, um, there's always this kind of weird rhetorical construction of the cave itself Mm -hmm. as, you know, the natives built this to keep you from stealing their gold. Mm. The natives mm. built this specifically f- to self-destruct when the gold came and there was this giant rock and it was going to kill you and it was going to destroy the temple. So this temple was only mm. built to get destroyed. <laughs> and it's like such a weird mm. thing that constantly when people try to steal things, the temple just crumbles. And I always hated that in movies because I'm like, no, man, they need to do this for the next person to to come in and like not be able to get your crap. Yeah. Um, so I like the idea of using water, not only, right, it was their irrigation system. They explained that water was like their biggest thing, right? The thing that they valued the most. Um, and showing how they, how like kind of repurposed water for certain uses for not just irrigation, but also for protection, et cetera. And that, mm-hmm. I thought that was very cool. Um, so there was that. Um, they do kind of destroy the temple at the end. But even in the booby traps and the way that they're constructed, they're illusions. They're not meant to legitimately kill you unless you mm. actually try to kill to get the <laughs> statue, of course, in which case you fall into lava. But that's neither here nor there. The point is that, you know, it's the constructions quite often in the cave itself and the place itself is kind of like a cave of horrors mm. quite often in the way that we see them in movies mm-hmm. and like just breaking with that. Like, no, man, like these are illusions. They're not necessarily trying to get you and they're not necessarily going to throw like 
poison darts at you. Like, that's not the goal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, however, Christina brought in a very, brought up a very interesting um, point of the old woman slash princess queen situation. Um, I was so mad. I was so mad when it turned out that she was the, the queen, if only because, really, you just, you had to dress up like a white woman? Like, what was, mm-hmm. what? Mm-hmm. But then I started thinking about it. And was kind of questioning, and this is just like a general question to see what people think, whether like that disguise was done on purpose Mm -hmm. because the only way to protect the city or the only way to like deter other people from going somewhere can be done by white people, by people who hold the power, Mm -hmm. or at least white Mm -hmm. passing folks. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I was just thinking about the inherent whiteness of the disguise or like using whiteness as a disguise, as a means to survival. That was is fascinating to think about, mm-hmm. right? Because yeah. it's something, yeah. right? And yeah. Katie brought up too, like the connect. I, I I see the connection to Book of Life right there too, as yeah. well, right. right? Where La Muerte is the museum curator, exactly. tour guide, mm-hmm. and this you know uh, white embodiment, and then at the end she transforms into exactly. La Muerte, right? Yeah. And you kind of get that moment at the end of Dora too, where it's like. No, actually, I exist in this like awesome goddess shape, right? Mm. Right. Yeah. So yeah, that's great. So um, kind of the elderly too. So white right, or right. white passing and elderly because the actress is Isela Vega, right? Um, a Mexican actor, um, um, but white passing as a kind of the the trusted guide, right? Mm-hmm. And if we had had. Um, the sort of the the powerful, magnificent prince Incan princess, it wouldn't have been the same, right? That's really great. I love that. Um, just as as we close here, because I know our time is coming up, um, we have so much to talk about. The soundtrack was really it's amazing. Good. It too. was really good. Not uh. just the you know I want to sing along here, but like you know we had right Bomba Estero, we yes. had also Matli, we had like you know. Um, all sorts happening. Um, yeah, tell me a little bit about the music. The music. I don't know. Well, in terms of adaptation itself, sorry, I know Katie hasn't talked in a while. Oh, no, no, sorry. You're <laughs> I'm, I'm just genuinely enjoying listening. <laughs> in terms of adaptation itself, I just love how they repurpose the songs from the show. Yes. Mm, um, and yeah. they figured out how to make it their own while also making them cool. Mm-hmm. Um, even like the giant celebration at the end and like with the dance mm-hmm. and just bringing everything together. Ah, oh, I just, it was so beautiful. Yeah. That's, Can that's I say I about something really yeah. fast? Like I always think, cause, um, High School Musical, my kid, you know, watched that w- way too. back. That's great. And you did too. Okay. And uh, I <laughs> just thought, cast. I'm like, but this is my oh, high school yes. musical moment, the in credits and like them dancing where I really like That's not true. only want to dance, but like we're seeing like diversity in the way that our world is diverse. And we're ha- we're seeing kids really genuinely having like good fun, yeah. right? Good, yeah. clean fun as my yeah. mom would clean. say. Clean, <laughs> yes. But Katie, you were going to jump in with something. I was just trying to, I feel like there's a Cure song in there at one point. There too, is, which yeah. I thought just thinking about Latinxes and our just like love for our emo phases, I thought that was really <laughs> important as well. Um, that that like there's that's kind of like plugged in there at one point, but I don't know. I felt like what and this kind of goes back to what we were saying at the beginning, but in some ways I felt like the music both that Dora produces and that is kind of playing in the background. I feel like in a lot of ways is used to sort of 
not update Dora per se, but to almost like remove her from sort of this like vast nowhereness that she's located in the show yeah. and actually put her in the real world. Because one of the things, and I have to go back and look at this, but I, I'm pretty sure it's there. So when um, uh, when they like get kidnapped and the the um, they think they've been rescued um, by oh I'm forgetting his name what is Alejandro it? Alejandro he opens a drawer in the truck I think it is and you can see this like part of a pitch perfect at least it looks like pitch perfect um promo flyer stuffed oh. in his drawer and that I thought was interesting in part because I hate pitch perfect too because Chrissy fit um portrays a Latinx character where every joke that she makes is about like pain and suffering by, by way of like oh when I crossed the border I like had diarrhea for x amount of days or I'm probably going to get deported so this is not, like none of this matters anyway so everything that she says is so deeply like in a racialized kind of racist xenophobic manner and I thought it was interesting that that promo flyer is in his drawer because in a way for me it felt like another subtle way of making sure that we're understanding Dora to exist in the real world and not any real world, but our actual world, as opposed to like the convention of displacing her in sort of this nowhereness or this fantasy land, which has been a lot of the critique as well for Sophia the First and Elena of Avalor, um, which have been like Disney's animated series where there's been questions about like Sophia the First, who initially was said was to be like Latina and then eventually was revealed not to be. Um, And then the questions that have come up for Elena of Avalor have been similar to the questions of Dora of like the amalgamation as opposed to sort of a culturally specific um, Latina character. So I felt like the music along with some of these kind of like sneak things that we see are ways of making sure that we understand sometimes subconsciously that Dora is in fact very real and can very much be sort of like our cousin our friend our sister and doesn't have to always be abstracted into this nothingness but then at the same time the way that they sort of poke fun when her and Diego are in the rainforest and they become their animated selves I thought was a really nice celebration of like Dora can be all of these things that she is to all of these people while simultaneously being this real girl. And I think that also, to me, marks her as sort of the superhero, as Christina was saying, that like a normal superhero girl who's cool because she's normal like, and we can all identify with her. All right, two comments and then uh, wrap up. One, um, Chris, you know, Christina and her work on Dora the Explorer is critical of language, and language is only being taught to generations of kids um, Spanish as a tool, right? Mm-hmm. So you bring out, you know, vamanos, you know, only as a tool to get to the next thing, but really it's English, right? So a tool like we would uh, use a tool to fix a tire or something. And here it's not. We've got code switching, we've got Quechua, we've got Spanish, and it's all just like part of life. Um, as it is in our worlds, right? The other thing that I think is kind of cool for me was recognizing, realizing outside of the show that Jeff Wahlberg is, Mm -hmm. his mama is Dominicana, right? And like, that's so cool, right? So Jeff, we have Latinxes who have names like Jeff Wahlberg. Biracial represent. Yeah, (laughs) Caitlin knows all about that with Sweeney, right, as a last name. And, um, and, uh, And then finally, you know, in the Spirit of Dora, uh, the movie especially, um, you know, um, can you say gracias? (laughs) 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 And with that, I end Professor Latinx. Thank you, you guys. We did it, you guys. Gracias, we did it.